Because he lives. All right, let's hold up our Bibles or devices or however you uh, access your scriptures. Hold them up. Come on, keep them up. Okay, so Holy Spirit, we're going to ask this morning that you speak to us, that you reveal things to us. One of your ministries is to speak and to teach. And so, Lord, we are coming to be taught. Guide us in all righteousness. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would powerfully speak to us today, that our lives would glorify you, our Father in heaven, and it is in your beautiful, precious, holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. Word. Uh, We are in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11. I uh, had an interesting experience this week. Uh, I don't know if you have had this experience. I think we're afforded uh, more of an opportunity lately. So I was, I was going to go buy something, and I uh, was kind of stoked about it. And I was like, oh, we really need this. And then I checked the account. You ever do that? Yeah, yeah. I was going to buy it, and then I checked the account. And uh, I had that moment where I thought, Man, well, the first thought was, where'd all the money go? And then it was, you know, if I just didn't tithe this past week, I would have had plenty of money. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, you know, what a blessing that I didn't have that money in the account. Because in some small way, that was telling me that we as a family are prioritizing the kingdom of God with our finances. And that every now and then, it's good to just be told no. To be able to say, I don't have this money in the account because I am serving the Lord with it and I am supporting the work of the church. And I want to encourage you in that. So that was my thinking. I was like, it could have been seen as a negative, but I was like, this is a positive. This is awesome. And then the craziest thing happened. I'm not joking. I'm looking through my wallet, which after a while I was like, whose wallet is this? I found, no joke, I literally found the exact amount of money that that thing was going to cost to the nickel. One person's digging the testimony. You know what I mean? And I immediately was like, whose wallet is this? Because I never have cash in it. And I was like, there's no way. And then I was like, I was accusing people of blessing me. I was like, you put money in there. And Madeline's like, I definitely did not do that. (laughs) But it showed me, like, God takes care of us. And even in that thing, it didn't seem like a real big thing. God was like, I've got you. And so I want to encourage you in your spiritual life, don't pass up tithing, don't pass up giving to the work of the church so we can go out and buy those things. Honor the Lord first in your giving, and then he's going to provide for you. Amen? Amen. All right, so we are uh, finding our way into Matthew chapter 11. We are going to be uh, finishing chapter 11 actually this morning. And uh, as I studied this, there were a couple of things that really jumped out at me. And I don't know if you have ever experienced this, uh, a situation where you've been filled with both anger and sorrow. Have you ever faced a circumstance or a situation where you've been filled with both anger and sorrow? Now, maybe uh, it's, it's a loved one's addiction, right? And you, you're like looking at their life and, and the addiction itself and the behavior, it makes you angry. But then there's also the sorrow of, of the suffering that they are experiencing. Uh, maybe it's anger and sorrow. Like when you look at an issue in your life and you're like, I should be better than this. I can't believe I did it again. Or like you just have this anger toward yourself, but you also have sorrow. 
when we, when we look at shootings like Uvalde, like we're filled with anger, right? Like we look at it and we're like, this should not happen. But then there's this sorrow that there's been another, another shooting, senseless loss of life. Now, I'm, I'm sure that you can think of all sorts of circumstances and situations that produce both anger and sorrow. Well, Jesus, when he was looking out over the towns where he had done the majority of his ministry and the majority of his miracles, he was filled with both anger and sorrow. It angered the Lord because the people remained unmoved. They were indifferent and apathetic. Like they saw the powerful workings of Jesus. They heard his teaching. And for a moment, they were like semi-interested. But then they just like tuned into something else. That angered the Lord, but it also caused him great sorrow. Family, it angers the heart of God when we remain unrepentant, but it also makes him sorrowful because God doesn't desire a single person to perish. He wants every single person to experience eternal life. God has gone to extravagant lengths to save his people from their sin. I'm reminded of a verse in 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, the scriptures tells us that we as humanity, we are headed for destruction. That makes God angry because he loves humanity. He doesn't desire a single person to perish, and he's gone to great lengths to save us. You know, it reminded me of a, a picture of a person drowning at sea, and, and somebody's there to throw them the life preserver. Now, to grab a hold of the life preserver, they have to admit they need help. They have to be willing to turn from their drowning to turn to be saved. But the person, could you just imagine just drowning, and you throw out the life preserver, and they go, I don't need it. And you're like, but you're drowning. I'm fine. But you're drowning. I don't need it. And they get sucked up under the water. Well, that is the picture that throughout our life, God is constantly reaching out to us to save us, to draw us away, to heal and to deliver. But for some reason, we have this crazy rebellious streak in us called sin where we just refuse to be saved. And so Jesus is looking out over these towns where he'd done all these amazing miracles and they were so unmoved. And it both led him to anger and sorrow. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce, that is to openly criticize the towns which most of his miracles had been performed. Why? Why did he denounce those towns? Because they didn't do what? They didn't repent. Jesus's message was very clear. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is, turn from sin and turn to God. The kingdom of God is here. And the miracles themselves testified. We saw that two weeks ago when we were looking at the ministry of Jesus as related to John the Baptist. Jesus laid out his messianic credentials, evidence and proof of who he is. We saw this in Matthew 11, verses 4 through 5. I just want you to kind of turn there in your Bible. When John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we be waiting for somebody else? So listen to how Jesus replied. He says, go report to John and, and tell him what you hear and see. Listen to this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf 
Here, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What is Jesus telling John? I'm the Messiah. These works evidence the power of God. You see, the power of God was powerfully on display, and it should have been powerfully working in the hearts of the people. All of the miracles mentioned were taking place in a a select group of cities in and around Galilee. But what's fascinating is they sort of treated Jesus like an infomercial. I don't know if you ever watch an infomercial. It slices, it dices, it chops, it bakes, it's whatever. And you're like, wow, that does all that? And it's only $29.99. But wait, there's more. And you're watching. And I know none of you all watch infomercials, but you ever get stuck and you just kind of zone out and all of a sudden you're like, man, that does slice and dice. And I really do want that. But then you like shake your head. You're like, what am I doing? Of course I'm not going to... I will take two, please. (laughs) There is more. Oh, good. Well, people were all, like, excited about Jesus, but then when he started talking about taking action, because check this out, y'all, repentance is an action word. When he started talking about doing things, that's when they were like, change the channel. Matthew chapter 11, verse 21 Jesus is going to pronounce a series of woes, like woe. And, and it's a reflection more of a, an emotion and less a, a, a statement. It's more of like when somebody does something, you go, oh. Or they make you mad, and you're like, oh. Well, woe is an expression of Jesus' anger, but also his sorrow. So in verse 21, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 22, but I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. And what Jesus is doing here is he's he's laying three Jewish cities up against three pagan vile cities. And so I want to show you a map. How many of y'all like maps? Remember maps? Maps are awesome. I'm a map, 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 I'm a map. So um, Jesus references uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, these three cities. That is where Jesus did the majority of his miracles. And by the way, depending on the Bible you have, you have Bible maps in your Bible. I know that's crazy. Uh, And so these are the three cities that Jesus is talking about. And in fact, Capernaum was his home base. That is where Jesus' main area of ministry was located. All of the miracles were done here. Well, he references three pagan cities that side on Tyre, and we're guessing that Sodom is somewhere around the Dead Sea here or here. Uh, and, the, and the reason we don't really know is because Sodom was completely destroyed in uh, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what Jesus is doing, he's like, hey, if all of the miracles that I'm doing right now and all the teaching was happening in these cities, they would have repented. They would have turned from their sins. It reminds me of the book of Jonah. Jonah the prophet, God had sent him to go preach against Nineveh, and he did what every faithful prophet did. He got on a boat and headed in the opposite direction. 
He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want Nineveh to repent. He didn't want to preach in Nineveh. And so God provided a, a, a boat of sorts, a whale to swallow him and sail him over there. He gets on the shores and he goes in and starts preaching. Now, I can't imagine he was all that energetic in his preaching. He was probably like, hey, y'all, um, you're probably going to die if you don't turn to God. But here's what's crazy. God moved in power in that city. In the capital city of Assyria, and the king heard the message. And from the king all the way down to the most common of people in that entire country, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented. They turned at the potentially apathetic preaching of Jonah. Well, now we're looking at these three cities, and Jesus is passionately preaching, teaching, healing. They are unmoved. And what he's saying is, if these miracles had been done here, they would have repented long ago. And what's interesting is to the Jewish mind, there was no doubt that Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom should fall under judgment. For example, if we woke up tomorrow and we heard that, that judgment fell on Las Vegas, San Francisco, and New York City, I don't think anybody would be like, well, that's a shock. I can't believe judgment fell there. But if I say Rowlett, Saxe, and Wiley fell under judgment, we would be like, hey, wait a second. We're fine, upstanding people. We're not like those folks in Las Vegas or San Francisco and New York. They're the ones that need to repent. Hey, we're Republicans, right? <laughs> hey, watch it, pal. We're so prone to look at other people, aren't we? Gosh, we're so prone to do that. We are so prone to point out other people's sin, but not take stock and inventory of our own glaring need of repentance. This past week in men's Bible study, and I just want to, I just want to say this, men, where are you? I mean, Wednesday night, we are getting in the Word. We are studying the Word. Yeah, we should clap. Yes, please. <laughs> We are getting in the Word, Thunderbird, and it is so good. And gals, there is a woman's Bible study. It is so good. Anyway, one of the, the discussions we had was on the, the concept of repentance, because like I said, repentance is an action word. So what that means, what does repentance mean? Well, it means putting down the idols, throwing away the weed, pouring out the whiskey, downloading the programs that keep that inappropriate material from being accessed and not looking for loopholes. It means confessing the anger and the abuse and getting help, stopping the adulterous relationships. It's an action word. It's turning away from sin and turning to God to Jesus, to grace and forgiveness. And what's crazy is in the one place there should have been the most repentance and the most faith, crickets. Now, I think, what would Jesus say to the church today? In the place where there is the most presence, there is the most teaching, and there are the most miracles of God moving in power, should there not be a greater spirit of repentance and greater faith in the church. I quote here from J. Vernon McGee. He always has a way of just kind of messing my day up sometimes. I'm like, man, that's accurate. So without going into detail, let me say this. I do not know what God will do with that person on a little island in the South Pacific who had never heard the gospel and bow down and worships this, an image. 
I do know what God is going to do with that person who comes and sits in church Sunday after Sunday, hears the gospel, and does nothing about it. We have a tendency to to hear a lot of Scripture, but not do a lot of Scripture. And that's a major spiritual breakdown. It's not enough that we know the Word. We have to actually be doers of the Word. That's why Jesus said to His disciples at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He he was telling his, His disciples that for the person who hears and does the Word is likened to a wise man who built his life on a rock. But it is the fool who hears the Word but does not do it. And so Jesus is rebuking these towns for not doing what He taught. So if we're left unmoved by the gospel of grace, if we do not repent, if we refuse to turn from sin, even God cannot deliver us. And that is a heartbreaker. And so Jesus has both anger and sorrow, but where do we go when our hearts are filled with anger and sorrow? Well, we bring our hearts to the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He brings his anger and his sorrow to his heavenly Father. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. Listen to this. You know, I love learning about my dad, you know? And and I I, I know a lot about my earthly father. He wasn't exactly the greatest guy. Some of you all know that. But I love learning about my heavenly father. I'm like, dude, this is my dad. And as believers, dude, this is your dad. Listen to this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Who's your father? He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Really? Yeah. No way. Totally. Goes on, but you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. And so Jesus is praising the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, for his ministry of concealing and revealing. See, there are some who will never see. And it's not like God hides kingdom truth in a way in places that are hard to find. No, God hides things in plain sight. And if you're able to take a certain posture, God's kingdom literally opens right before you. It says in the scriptures that it is the wise and the learned who do not see. What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders. See, they knew a lot of scripture. They knew a lot of history. But they were so far from the heart of God because they would not receive Jesus as their Messiah. They were hardened. Their arrogant religious learning made it impossible for them to see the glory of God. But then Jesus references what he calls little children, that to the little children God revealed himself to those who took that posture. It reminds me of Jesus speaking in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 14. Jesus says, we read this in the scriptures, people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. So for whatever reason was going, whatever is happening in the disciples' heart, they're like, whoa, keep the little kids away. We don't want, we don't want all these kids running around. And sometimes people in the church are like that. They're like, oh, let's make sure we keep all the kids away. I'm like, but that's the kingdom. Like, let the kids play and laugh and cry and draw on stuff. Preferably not these walls. But if they do, we're going to love them anyway because they're awesome. Well, anyway, verse 14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, listen to this, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. 
The kingdom of heaven is for the people who can take the posture of a child. I love having theological conversations with my seven-year-old. He is an incredible theologian. And what I love about his theology is it doesn't elevate him over others. It actually inclines us both to come into the presence of God, the Father, together. He talks to me about God. He says things like, yeah, I know Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I know he lives. I'm like, last night I was like, tell me about God the Father. He goes, oh, he created everything. I'm like, everything? He's like, yeah, everything. And he gives me good stuff. I'm like, good stuff like what? Like your brothers? He's like, other things. <laughs> All good things. And I'm like, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. When we can just climb up into daddy's lap. That's the father's heart that we would have that kind of relationship with him. Because we are father's little children. That makes God our daddy. But here's the thing. If you want to know God the Father, you, you got to know God the Son. You just do. Verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you want to know the Father, you got to know Jesus. You just do. Because if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. And if you want to have a relationship with God the Father and God the Son, you need to have an intimate relationship with God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit in us is the presence and person of God the Father and God the Son. And we are invited into an intimate relationship like a child has with a father. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, Jesus, how is the Father revealed to us? What are some of the ways that we, we come to know more and more of the Father? Well, the first is through Jesus, that when you hear Jesus speak in his teachings in the scriptures, you are hearing the words of the Father. We reveal or get to know more of the Father through scripture, through the studying of scripture. I, you know, I sit there, I'm like, Father, can you show me more about you? He reveals himself through creation, just like my seven-year-old who's able to say, yeah, God created all of this. I mean, just imagine standing outside and going, what a beautiful color blue you chose, Father. What an amazing color you chose for these flowers that are like, not like domesticated flowers. They're just like weeds. But have you ever just stopped and considered like even trash grass has beautiful flowers? I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Through creation, we learn more of the Father. Through relationship. Now, I want to encourage you. I have been having some of the best walks with my Father. I, I often will walk behind the church, and, and I can imagine, you know, people will see me, and I, I'm just having a conversation, and I imagine people are like, that dude's losing it, man. But it's just so intimate and sweet. Like our Father, our Daddy wants us to have a relationship with, like that, uh, with Him like that. And I want to encourage you, that intimacy and that fellowship is in and through Holy Spirit. That in and through more and more of a relationship with Holy Spirit, inviting Him more into our life, that is when we experience that intimacy with our Father. And that is why last week I invited anybody who were interested to invite more of Holy Spirit into your life. 
That is a beautiful prayer, by the way. I had some folks ask me last week, hey, Chris, you're talking an awful lot about the Holy Spirit. Are we becoming one of those churches? And, and it's interesting, over the course of my ministry, there are two types of, two messages that I've preached that have had a pretty mm, intentional response. Once I preached about Santa Claus. Anybody all, any remember that? You all remember that? Yeah. Never doing that again. Anyway. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then the second one is the, the teaching on the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the deal. I'm not going to pick on Santa, but I'm going to keep talking about the Holy Spirit. We have to. I, I just, it's just crazy to me that we're like, hey, Holy Spirit, can you hang out outside because we don't want to get weird. And I'm like, wait a second. If he's the fullness of God the Father and fullness of, of God the Son, we want more of him. We want him to fill up this church and fill up our lives. Amen? And then through that filling, more and more of the Father. Well, listen to this. Chapter 11 concludes with one of the loveliest invitations found anywhere in Scripture. I want your highlighters out, family. And I don't want you just to highlight this. I don't want you just to circle it. I want you to bury this in your heart. Because we, we come out of the trees of judgment and we enter into the high plains of grace. And we're invited into an intimate relationship with our Jesus. It is a passage of Scripture that gets beneath the thin veneer of makeup, the manicured lawn, that glowing portrayal of life behind the Facebook posts. It's the truth that exists behind closed doors and the real intimacy of your heart. Because family, we often portray ourselves as more together than we actually are. If we're being honest, we probably are carrying a lot of burdens right now, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of stress. And we're worried, right? Like we're worried about the economy, What's going on with inflation? Uh, what's happening in, in Ukraine? Where are we headed as a country? Like there's a lot of stuff we're worried about. Well, in our own private world, there's stuff that we're burdened by. And, and sometimes we don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to take it. And, and Jesus stands here and he just says, hey, are you burdened? Are you stressed and overwhelmed? Come. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Oh, I love this is like a cup of chamomile to the soul. You know what I mean? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anybody fit into that category right now? Anybody? Look at you risking it, risking it for the biscuit, putting that hand up. Yeah. Anybody else burdened? Come on, let's just be honest. You know what you just did right now? You just encouraged your fellow believers like, hey, we're not alone. Doesn't it feel like that way sometimes? Like, you're going through something and you're the only one going through it because everybody else is so happy and everybody is so smiling and they're like, selfie! <laughs> and then the camera turns off and they're like, <laughs> isn't that how it goes? Oh my gosh, thank you guys for being a church where we can just raise our hand and say, yes, we're burdened and overwhelmed. Thank you for being that kind of church. Oh, how beautiful is that? And listen to this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Ah, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what for your souls? Rest, yeah. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus is inviting us into a real intimate relationship with himself. And what I love about this, this intimate relationship with Jesus brings rest to the soul. And so I just want to say this, come, all you who are burdened with sin, if you have never invited Jesus into your life, come. I mean, you may not experience it right now, but I think you probably know what the burden and weight you're carrying around and you have nowhere to take it. I know that feeling. I lived a lot of my life with nowhere to take my burden and pain. If that is you, Jesus invites you to come. Come all who are burdened with worries and fears. I know they're here. And I know we're carrying them. He will give us peace. Come all who are crushed under the weight of religion. Where you're, you're constantly carrying this list in your mind of like the, the, the good things I've done and the bad things I've done. And I sure hope my good things outweigh my bad things. But gosh, I keep doing bad things. And all the stress and all the pressure and you're just being crushed by it. Jesus is like, come. Step out of religion and come and have a relationship. Come, all who really want Jesus, come. Open your heart to God and you will find rest for your soul because he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus, his invitation is simple. Come. Oh, as a church, that we would come to Jesus together. Amen? So a few take-homes as we've looked at Matthew chapter 11. So much good stuff in Matthew 11. I can't wait to get to chapter 12. Oh, it's so good. Uh, first, anger and sorrow. I just want to say they're God-given emotions. There's something about the church sometimes where we're like anti-emotion. We're like, oh, you have anger? I can't believe you're angry. And you're like, well, that makes me even angrier. <laughs> or sorrow. Hey, all I see here in the scripture is that Jesus experienced both. Both anger and sorrow. There should be things that, that should make us angry. Now, that doesn't mean we become angry people and lash out at people. But there are certain things that should make us angry. And there are certain things that should make us feel sorrow. But just like Jesus, we bring those things to our Father in heaven, and we give those to him, and we praise him for his will. I am so thankful today that my father's in control. How many of y'all? Does that encourage you? I am so thankful that my father's in control. I am thankful that, that you know what, the, the, everything may fluctuate and inflation and all that, but you know what, God's love, there is never a fluctuation, ever. And my daddy, he rules the world. He is the one who is over heaven and earth. Y'all encouraged by that? Yes. Thank you. Uh, now let's talk about repentance. Oh, that's a weird transition, but it's not. It's a beautiful word. Repentance is an action word. Here's the thing. We can say, I repent, but if we never take action, we don't repent, we repeat. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If we do not take action and we just say, I repent, we don't repent, we repeat. Okay, so it's an action word. We're turning from something and turning to something. And just as Jesus is talking about, we, we can literally turn from that thing, those things, and we can turn to the living God and find healing. 
Uh, and then I want to say this, don't get too grown up. Sometimes we get so mature in the church. You know, we start throwing around all these big, deep theological words, and, and we start knowing more than everybody else, and all of a sudden we find ourselves, we, you know, we're kind of looking down our noses at people. And here's the deal. If you're looking down your nose at people, all you're doing is showing people your boogers. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You say it's disgusting? I said booger. Don't get too grown up. Just enjoy your daddy in heaven. Could you all just enjoy daddy today? Is that cool? Let's just enjoy him. And then I, I want to say this in here. Jesus reveals the Father to us through the Holy Spirit. Don't be scared of the Holy Spirit. Don't be scared of him. He's not scary. He's like the best friend ever. He guides us. He teaches us. He's our helper. We need help. He's a healer. How many of y'all need healing? Come on. Come on, y'all. Let that in. Let him all the way in. Like, just open your life to him. Just say, Lord, you have all of me. You can move, and you can heal. You can bring about, and I'm just going to let you do your thing, Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. So, Lord, thank you for this morning, and I am so encouraged, and I love this family, and I love being here, and uh, when brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity— that is absolutely your presence, Holy Spirit. And so thank you for that. And if you're here and you know that today's the day where you, you just want to come to Jesus and you want to invite him into your life, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand and I'm going to be able to pray with you just more specific to you. You want to invite Jesus into your life? Amen. Love it. Invite Jesus into your life to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All right, go ahead and put your hand down. And if today you're like, I'm burdened and I need rest, I need a burden prayer. Anybody in here need a burden prayer? Come on, do you need a burden prayer? If you do, yeah, amen, amen. All right, so uh, Father, you've seen the hands, you know the hearts. Um, I believe, Lord, that you are drawing uh, those who don't know you into relationship, and I know you're doing that work, Jesus. And so if you have not invited Jesus into your life, and today's the day where you're like, yes, I'm going to give my life to you. Just tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. It's real simple. Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins, and I believe you were buried and you've risen. I believe you live, Jesus. And I believe that the only person who can forgive my sins is you. And so I ask for forgiveness, and I invite you into my life. If that's your prayer, if that's truly your heart, literally, you have just passed from spiritual death to life. You're forever a son or daughter of the living God. Whoo! Welcome to the family. But now we've got burden prayers, so we're burdened. And so, Lord, we, we come before you. We're going to ask that you do a supernatural work of, of literally lifting burdens right now. I pray, Lord, as I pray over the congregation, as those who have raised their hands and those who didn't, I pray that you begin a supernatural work of lifting burdens. God, you are a burden bearer. You are a burden lifter. You are the one who gives us rest to the soul. And so, Lord, I'm going to pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you do that work in the hearts and the souls of those who are gathered here. Do that work, Lord, that as we walk out of here, we experience your peace and your presence and your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you give us the faith to not go pick those burdens back up. And one more prayer, Lord, for those of us who are absolutely wanting to turn from that thing that we just can't stop going to, give us the courage to truly repent and get help. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together. Man, what a good Sunday. You know, isn't it good? Yeah. yeah.
You know what makes it even better? When we love each other. You know, so I want to encourage you, before you go scamper on out of here, out to the world, I know we've got a ton of things to do, and uh, maybe just encouragement, maybe we should schedule less on Sundays so we can just enjoy rest and enjoy the Lord and each other a little bit more. Anyway, that's kind of preachy, and I've already done enough of that. But now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are love. You really are. No, no, you really are. And so lavish that on one another, and let's go rock the streets with the love of God. Amen? All right, love you.